Welcome to the next best podcast with your hosts, Chris Cashman. 24 years old, a former sheet metal worker, Mr. America, and twice Mr. Universe. And Chris Daniels. Time magazine even named him Person of the Century. Now, from the CNC Podcast Factory, here's the next best podcast. Well, here we go again, Chris. It's been a busy week, uh, both in the news and in the health department for me. I've been laid up <laughs> with one of those late spring colds that everybody's raving about. Great way to lose weight, as I've learned. Just lie in bed. That's a starvogenics diet. You just stay in bed for about three days. And there's been no reason to go outside, really, uh, at least in the early part of the week. Yeah. I think I had a fruit roll-up. <laughs> That's all I ate for about 48 hours. So we're back in the land of the healthy and a busy week as the Seahawks schedule is officially out. And we must address the latest in the ongoing Sonics arena debacle. It just keeps unfolding. I can't believe we're 10 years removed and it seems like it's actually a breaking news scenario. Well, as Dave Niehaus, the late great Dave Niehaus once said, it just continues. <laughs> it does just continue. But let's start off with the Seahawks schedule here. We want to react. Uh, you and I get to do something fun uh, last season. We called it the sort of post game show where we were live online with fans able to react uh, basically we just took the party as we said we took it to the tailgate yeah we, we went know to that a Arizona, lot of people can't yeah. come down so we would go out hang out with fans here locally and then yeah like you said we went on the road even yeah yeah it was fun and uh, we ate all sorts of new food that's and, right <laughs> so we have saw a, all sorts of new drinks we have a personal interest in yes. the schedule as we look at it because it's going to dictate where exactly we will be in the fall uh both the home games and away games so let's start by saying uh, what most people are saying about the schedule it looks pretty good. If this you're is a, a pretty fan, favorable yes. schedule. In fact, I already see the likes of Sporting News saying the Seahawks should roll in the NFC West with the most favorable schedule. I think uh, I've seen as well uh, one of the easier schedules uh, in the National Football League going into 2017. It, it really, if you're a Seahawks fan c compared to some of the past few seasons and uh, just how the schedule has been laid out, it looks. Uh, it looks pretty nice so uh, let's just, without two games on the road in yeah. a row. Yeah. Let's just skip ahead a, a, a beyond preseason football light. But you can't pick a more compelling opener than the Seahawks at Green Bay. Depending what kind of fan you are, you're either scared of that or you look at that and think, wow, what a juicy way to kick off the season. Well, uh, as you know... It's a familiar know, opponent to kick off the season. Well, as you know, this has become an event. This whole schedule rollout has become an event in the NFL, a lot like the NFL draft, where people wait by their phones, by their computers to get the yeah. schedule. And, and then people write stories about the schedules. And I've Predictions, seen, isn't it fun? Yeah, yeah. predictions and, and best games. And, and I've seen most... Uh, prognosticators, most writers on a national level saying this game to kick off the season is one of the top five matchups going into the season because of all the storylines uh, with Green Bay. And it's one of the few games that was leaked about an hour yeah. or two before. It seemed to be common knowledge that that was going to be the opponent. I know you and I were texting each yeah. other, making our plans. Boy, a road show in Lambeau. How cool would that be? Um, this is an interesting matchup for a number of reasons and not only are they on the road this is not a place that's friendly to seattle they don't win there yeah uh, the last time these two teams met up it was rather embarrassing i remember you and i were doing one of our 
local road shows yeah. at a <laughs> Packers-friendly bar yes. in Grill, and uh, that was a, a very ugly game for the Seahawks, and it uh, was not fun to witness that 38-10 to beatdown in December. Uh, wasn't fun to witness, but a chance at redemption on the road. I'm one of the fans, a couple of seasons ago, I wouldn't have wanted anything to do with this. Yeah. But after that Super Bowl win and the confidence and knowing the firepower that the Seahawks have, I kind of like that. I said, no, let's come out of the gates with a legitimate opponent and hopefully a legitimate win. Well, I think you can make the argument with Green Bay that uh, a lot like San Francisco a few years ago, uh, there is a rivalry. This is a rivalry game now between the Packers and the Seahawks. Indeed. Dating back to the, the fail Mary game yeah. uh, here in Seattle. Certainly the, surpassed the 49ers rivalry. Yes, the NFC Championship, uh, uh, of course, that everybody knows about. But this will be the third straight trip to Green Bay for the Seahawks, second time in four years. No the two teams have opened the season against each other. Yeah. Four of the past five years, the home team has won every game, and the Seattle has lost seven in a row at Lambeau, dating back to 1999. So the odds uh, against the Seahawks going into this, but it is definitely, uh, there are the storylines now with Eddie Lacy going back to Lambeau. What a and, juicy twist, and right? I, and I, I've seen uh, somebody point out already that it you know, gives him motivation to lose the weight so he can go back to Green Bay. Uh, our uh, our friend. Uh, no Garrett different Seattle. than Kristen Michael. I was just going to say Kristen Michael. He went Michael. to Packers already thought, yeah. uh-oh, watch this be a breakout game as he tries to shove it in our face. Yeah. So you're right. That that's the Eddie Lacy is a, is a fun twist to this. Yeah, so uh, it's a great way to start off the season. I think it builds the anticipation uh, for the Seahawks and for all the 12s out there. Uh, and if they can get through that first game, if the Seahawks can win that first game, uh, boy, the schedule looks really nice. Yeah, so, you know, we won't spend that much time on all of the games, but certainly a juicy opener on the road. I like it. I like everything about yeah. it. Uh, you know, do you have confidence? You just chalk it up as a W? Of course not. But the historical trends like that don't mean a whole lot. You know, this was a different team, different players. Right. We're talking about Hasselback and company. This is a whole other uh, regime here. So I like it, but uh, looking back at last season, I actually, I was glad that I actually had to research to remember exactly how it went down. But uh, it was actually week one when Russell first got hurt, that yeah. first ankle injury. And then it was, what, two games later when he officially got his knee bent in half in the MCL issue. So let's not forget and let's not get ahead of ourselves that uh, we are no longer the team that never gets hurt. We right. watched catastrophic injuries happen last season. A lot of these players are still working their way back, including Russell. Yeah. It's not out of the ordinary for a player to keep getting injured. So let's just knock on laminate table here in the CNC podcast studio, but um, assuming they can get healthy, assuming Richard Sherman can make friends and stay nice and, <laughs> and stay on the team, um, it, it's a perfect, perfect opener. Well, and, and yeah, the, there's going to be a question of what the Seahawks do in the NFL draft and how that may change, how the, that may change the team, the offensive line. I mean, obviously, as you just said, Russell Wilson being hurt in the first uh, half in particular, the season last year can completely change that offense. But if you look at that schedule uh, after the Green Bay game, San Francisco in Seattle, Tennessee. Yeah, that's the home opener is against the Niners. 
or what's left of them. Tennessee on the road, uh, Indianapolis on Sunday Night Football we on should say week, week three, that game uh, at the Titans, that's their first trip to Nashville since 2005. So that's kind of interesting. They're not familiar. It's also the only 10 a.m. game. Right. Once upon a time, that used to haunt this team as well. And right. the home grinning company, 10 a.m.'s meant a loss to this team right. for whatever reason. That's the only 10 a.m. game on the schedule. Well, and then you have the Rams on the road, uh, which has been, uh, they've had the Achilles heel of the Seahawks. Uh, And then a week off. Uh, They get the bye week there uh, after week five. And then the Giants on the road, Houston at home, Washington on the home. And on paper, and again, this is uh, the time of the year when everything is on paper. You don't know what the exact makeup of the team is going to be in four months. But those first eight games, that looks like a, a decent road for the Seahawks. It gets a little tougher in the back half of the season with a game at Arizona. You and I were there last year when neither team could score a touchdown and neither field goal kicker, it seemed, could hit a winning field goal. Atlanta, uh, back in Seattle, that was a memorable game last year. And then at San Francisco, home against Philadelphia, at Jacksonville, home against the Rams. Uh, And then those last two games could be tricky at Dallas and home against Arizona, depending on how good Arizona is this year. But... It's a it's a nice looking schedule with four primetime games, including uh, three of them. Sunday on nighters King five, yeah. Here in town, we know how much fun those are. We got a Monday nighter. That's a juicy game. I should say right now, we are less than ten minutes into the podcast, and we already have. Well, David, just tell them. Now the next best podcast presents alternative facts. It happened just moments ago, Chris. You were so polite, you just skipped right past it. You didn't even notice my alternative facts stumble. <laughs> uh, the Titans game is actually not the game I was thinking of. Their only 10 a.m. is uh, much later in the schedule. That's December 10th uh, at the Jaguars. At, at Jacksonville, at Jacksonville. Uh, which could be in a couple of years, the London Jaguars, but that's another whole story. That's right. Yeah, Arizona has also been tough. Uh, that could be an interesting New Year's Eve game. Uh, in Seattle is uh, I think there could be some heavy tailgating before and after that game but yeah the Cardinals have won three of the past four years in Seattle Uh, so in order for them to uh, for the Seahawks and the 12s to have a a happy new year perhaps they're going to want to win that game and yeah Arizona on the road uh, in week uh, nine or ten for the Seahawks that's going to be tough as well. Although Everybody a lot of circles those Arizona games. It's a question mark for Arizona because it continues to be a head scratcher as to why they just seem to have their number. Uh, you know, Palmer is what's he about 74, 74 75, 70, 75 Yeah, I think he old. might turn seventy five this year. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and the question with Arizona, there's been a lot of speculation leading to the draft. They're going to be looking for their new quarterback and and what that team could look like if if Carson Palmer can't stay on uh, two good legs uh, or have two good arms. Uh, well, he really only needs one. Right. But the point being, uh, yeah, we, we don't know what exactly that team's gonna look like. In San Francisco, boy, the, the thrill of the rivalry is gone. Completely now, gone. Now with uh, another new head coach and a new general manager who has, uh, has no experience as a general manager putting together that team. Uh, Quarterback question marks. It's almost like you're going to be playing Cal Berkeley uh, down yeah. there, uh, yeah. down in in uh, the Bay Area in Santa Clara. So, yeah, we'll see. I, the, the, the division uh, looks decent. I think the Rams are a team that now with a new head coach who is 
about 28 years old. Yeah, boy, I saw um, him. It, it'll be interesting. I think he's still drinking wine coolers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, he looks Does cool. he even know what Seagram's Ooh, is? Uh, yeah. He, that game, by the <laughs> way, October 8th, uh, I do notice is on CBS, so that will be our first chance to experience Tony Romo oh, yeah. in the broadcast booth. Yeah. Telling us all about the Seahawks. I mean, the Rams have always had, uh, in the last few years, the, the great defense. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what this new head coach can do uh, with Jared Goff uh, in Los Angeles and whether they are a more uh, formidable foe. You don't envy his position. No. Goff, uh, last season, looked looked every bit a college kid suddenly yeah. thrown into the middle of the NFL. Yeah. So Well, and, and in L.A., too, uh, now with the Chargers in town, I saw one of the schedule quirks is that uh, it's three or four different weeks that both LA teams are going to be home on the same Sunday, the same weekend at the same time. And how is that going huh. to work when you're when you're trying to build up a fan base again in Los Angeles? Uh, that's going to be an interesting dynamic uh, for the Rams because last year, as you know, with that first Seahawks game. Uh, it was close to a sellout down there uh, because you know the excitement was uh, at a fever pitch. Football yeah. back in Los Angeles. By the end of the season, the LA Coliseum was not even half full. So uh, yeah, we it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the division shapes up really nicely for yeah. the Seahawks. The schedule shapes up nicely. But it's going to be a, a question of, like you said, w- what happens with Russell yeah. in particular because uh, in, in NFL standards, it's always it's always funny to say uh, the Seahawks are getting up there in age. Isn't that bizarre? That, that, that they're 28, 29 Isn't that now. bizarre? I know. It seems like just last season that the Hawks had won the Super Bowl. I was lucky enough to get to host the NFL kickoff party outside CenturyLink yep. that following season where the Packers were in town. Yep. So it was this juicy matchup. The defending Super Bowl champs, it was a cush gig. To yep. stand out there and fire up the fans it was yep. not difficult. And you remember the Hawks went out and they rolled. Yep. They looked every bit the convincing. So. That, that just happened. Yeah. I just remember standing yeah. at that parade, yeah. watching him with the confetti, and here we are, and they're going, yeah, they're getting up there in age. 28, 29, Disgruntled 30 years players. Old. It's, well, <laughs> yeah. here we go. Uh, one bit of uh, news before we move on. I do want to give a bit of kudos to the Seahawks because, as you mentioned, it's become a thing, whether you're glued by the radio, you're on your phone. We all knew where we were at 5 o'clock when that was going down. And I think I had jumped on about 4.55. News was leaking. The Packers seemed to be a done deal a foregone conclusion, but I noticed that there was a link from the Seahawks and they were doing kind of a live feed, I think through Periscope. And I clicked on it and it was kind of like a butcher block and you could see a guy's hands coming in, wiping it down with a rag and then the knife came in. Then uh, some, some, you know, bits of food that foreshadowed they were gonna be making food. And about half the comments were people saying, go Hawks, half the comments were, what the heck is this? And and worse, you know, the internet's where people go to complain. Yeah. So. Very quickly, uh, you realize they were making sushi, and that based on the ingredients, they were making sushi rolls for every opponent. And at the end, they were going to reveal what order they were going to be in. So it was almost like doing their own online, unique, quirky halftime show. I guess in this case, it would have been pregame. Um, but kudos to the Hawks. It was very creative. I know a lot of the people on there were trying to trash it as it was happening because they just didn't get it. And some yeah. people don't want to mix pleasure with their football. It's, it's this is business. Just give me the schedule. <laughs> That's what I wanted. But I thought it was very cool. I thought it was very creative. And you can still see it on their website. They basically made a sushi roll for every. The most disturbing was probably when they cut up slices of pizza and then rolled it in rice and, and seaweed. Yeah. And that was, you know, for the Jets. But, yeah. um, but kudos to the Hawks. The schedule is 
out and it looks good. And, and you know who was busy yesterday or in uh, this week and has been busy this week are hotel owners. Hotel Seattle. owners. We talked about yeah. this issue as well. You happen to be by the uh, Silver Cloud Silver over Cloud. next to the stadium, and yes. you told me that they bring in <laughs> yeah. staff. They all bring staff, in extra all staff. Hands on deck to all answer the hands phones. on deck. As soon as the schedule comes out, hotels across America start getting inundated with people trying to book. Right? Yeah, it's funny. If you look at these booking websites in football cities, the moment that schedule comes out, Hotel owners and, and groups, they must just sit there and go, okay, double the price, push the button, double the price. Uh, in Seattle, yeah, the Silver Cloud Inn, all hands on deck, and they said that they still get a fair amount of people who call directly to the hotel, and in particular, Canadians. He said they uh -huh. like to pick up the phone, they don't like to use the computer to book the Silver Cloud Inn uh, near the stadium, they like to pick up the phone, and then what others do, is they they know to book every weekend uh, at the Silver Cloud, and then after the schedule comes out, Release. then they call up and cancel half those dates. So it, it's interesting the the game uh, outside the game with people trying to get a place to stay to actually watch the Seahawks. Wow. Well, speaking of sold out and at capacity, overcrowding. Uh, we want to turn back to the uh, Sonics saga and the ongoing NBA arena, NHL arena debacle, really. Chris, it is really strange that it has been a decade. We've all been desperate for something to happen. Chris Hansen comes along seemingly out of nowhere. We've got this hero, and we've got this thing. It could be happening. It's in Soto, where we work at King 5. We happen to overlook the property, so we can literally see it. Their stadium would be there. The Mariners play there. The Sonics play there. Perfect, makes so much sense. Then the plot thickens, other investors come in, now Key Arena's viable again. And then that takes a bunch of turns. There's, uh, you know, you don't wanna say there's foul play involved, but there are so many little wrinkles that have come up since the two groups have come out saying, yeah. no, we can redo Key Arena and here's how. Uh, the city, people coming out saying, they knocked it out of the park, right? That was a quote yep. from the city. They, they yep. knocked it out of the park with these proposals. A lot of fans are split because they just want a team back one right. way or another. Some of the fans seem to say, they don't mention the NBA, they're trying to trick us, they just want to put concerts in there. I mean, you've seen all the tweets. Yeah. As soon as you would tweet out yeah. news, actual facts, yeah. people were jumping down your throat. Yeah. And, and there's just misdirected frustrations right. because we all want a team back, but we feel like maybe we're being duped a little bit. Certainly with the key arena stuff, uh, again, I, I don't want to just say that I, it seems like there's foul play or anything from the, uh, you know, the ownership of the monorail issue to some of these other things that have come out. But uh, when they're when they're patting those groups on the back, saying what wonderful presentations and pitches they had, and then you read into it further and you go, this is this the same proposal that Hanson's presented that supposedly is not good enough. What's going on here? Because it really does seem like there's at least favoritism going on. Yeah, well, I, I think there are people within the city who want to protect the city asset. I'll mm -hmm. say that first. And that is understandable. In yes. a business sense, of course they don't want to just, let's just sink Key Arena, let's just let it sit there. We, as a, as a financial thing, that makes sense. I mean, but, here's, here's the weird dynamic in all this, is that this actually, this whole story, I like to think I'm the only person who has followed it this long. Dates back to 2006. You are. I saw people it's, on Twitter crowning you as the king. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> and it's, you are. It's been 11 years, and, and I can tell you the exact moment was when Clay Bennett bought the Sonics, agreed to the deal to buy the Sonics. I typed into my phone or to my laptop, uh, "Who is Clay Bennett?" 
and, and a story popped up from the Oklahoman talking about how he had attempted to buy the Hornets because the Hornets had relocated from New Orleans uh, during Hurricane Katrina and was turned away. And he said the key to ownership of an NBA franchise is local ownership. Uh-huh. And I remember looking mm. at the names of the investors uh, who were buying the Sonics and they were all from Oklahoma City. And I knew, you know, the jig was up at that point, uh, that it was it was over and they were just gonna make a half-hearted uh, attempt to renovate Key Arena. And here we are 11 years later, still talking about and it. And don't you think t- the timing had a lot to do with it? I gotta, I gotta assume, let's say all things were equal, the Sonics were still here. We're now at the point where they're saying, the arena's no good, Key Arena's an issue. Hey, who's this Clay Bennett guy? I don't think this would go down. And that's not just in hindsight saying, I just think with social media, the fact that we've all right. got phones, because you're talking about 10 years ago, we didn't have yeah. phones on us the way we there do was now. Twitter with the Facebook, internet, with yeah. Twitter, with Facebook, where message and news is spreading like rampant. This kind of got swept under the rug and yep. we were all kind of caught sleeping at the dial. Yeah. And, and and that's why the dynamic on this this whole issue of, of the two groups renovating Key Arena is so odd in, in a certain respect. So I, I've said it to people from the city, if these two proposals came up in 2006, 2007, 2010, 2011, there would be people running down the street saying, our problem is solved, this is the biggest yeah. story uh, for two weeks. Everybody would be talking about it, everybody would be jumping up and down, there'd be rallies in the streets. But the reaction has been muted because people look at it and say, well, these these look really nice and they look like great proposals right. uh, on the surface. But it still means that the Sonics aren't coming back for another five, six years. And what's it mean for the NHL? Because where would an NHL team play while the new building? So that's why the reaction, I think, has been more muted than maybe the city expected uh, because of the timing of it all. Well, and I think this is a fan base that is, you know, we've joked before that has been broken up with. We've been cheated on. And earning trust back is hard. A lot of fans, I think their anger is simply because they're so bummed out about it. Well, we had enough time to be shocked to where now we're going through all of those stages and then we're hurt, now we're defensive, now we're angry. Well, and and the city has said repeatedly that uh, Key Arena is old and needs uh, needs some serious work. I mean, you, you heard it back in 2006, 2007 from Clay Bennett. You heard it during the, the buildup to Chris Hansen's MOU uh, for a Soto Arena that, you know, Key Arena was obsolete. The NBA and the NHL had both said they didn't want to play there. And, and so here we are coming back to that. You know, I'll say that the, the pitches by the Oakview group and the AEG group uh, are both impressive. I mean, the designs, uh, the, the OVG, Oakview Group uh, pitch involves digging down 15 feet and basically ripping up everything on site with the exception of that roof, the historic roof. Uh, and so in theory, you look at it and go, this is how you accomplish it. And it's surprising that, that nobody's come up with the idea first. But uh, back to your original uh, point, the the idea that the city had asked for 100% private financing on this. Essentially, the city was put out an RFP and said, match Chris Hansen right. line item by line right. item. That's, that was the point of the RFP. And on the surface, it, it looks like the two groups have done that with over half a billion dollars. Maybe even one pitches. better. It looked like, hey, here's a sweeter yeah. offer. Yeah, uh, but where where it kind of came off the rails was this week at uh, the Seattle City Council, 
the first review of the Select Committee on Civic Arenas, uh, Tim Burgess, the council member, asked the budget director, Ben Noble, uh, if there is some component of public money that would be involved. And he acknowledged that both pitches involved, as it stands right now, some aspect of public money. So AEG hmm. is essentially asking, it sounds like, for the deal that Chris Hansen originally pitched to the city involving right. public bonding capacity. And Oakview is asking for the deal that Hansen is now asking for yeah. involving tax breaks. So it's uh, one group asking for the old deal, another group asking yeah. for the new deal, uh, and it's not 100% privately financed. Right. And I think... Uh, you know that that set off some alarm bells, especially on social media. Yeah, uh, there would be people from the city who would tell you though that you know Hanson is also asking for public money by right. asking for tax breaks on a quote privately financed arena. But they weren't bragging about how he hit it out of the park with his right. proposal. Right. So that's why I think a lot of people are going, "Hey, what gives?" And right. then of course this took another twist uh, in this past yeah. week when news. And I don't even know if this is really big news to the average sports fan. I think the people paying close attention. Yeah people who are invested in this whole Sonics thing maybe understood this, but that now the, those proposals basically set at face value by 2020. We could, yes. we could have it ready to yes. go. Key Arena 2020, we could be ready to go. You know, working on a team and all that, that's another issue right. by 2020. But that wouldn't seem possible given the news that came out this week about the Pac-12 tourney. No, actually the NCAA tourney. Oh, I'm sorry, the NCAA tourney. I, I, and I give the Seattle PI credit for actually bringing this up so quickly uh, because it kind of flew under the radar. The NCAA, they make their announcements on tournament sites for March Madness well in advance. Uh, the city of Seattle uh, has a sports commission. It's not actually a city of Seattle office, but it's run out of the tourism bureau down by right. the convention center. Uh, Ralph Morton, who's the, the head of the Seattle Sports Commission had bid on this. Uh, and the NCAA accepted the bid to play games at Key Arena in 2019. Hmm. Uh, in March of 2019, and that would conflict with any sort of renovation which could potentially start in 2018. So the, the, the PI, to their credit, jumped on this, uh, called all the available people, and it seems like somebody dropped the ball, no pun intended, on this bid, and, and people weren't talking to each other. AEG facilities helps run Key Arena. Uh, they're also one of the bidders. Somehow this didn't get brought up. Huh. Uh, and Oakview doesn't sound like they uh, were necessarily under the impression that the city uh, or the sports commission was making a bid on the tournament. And I talked to Ralph Morton this week who said, just point blank, March Madness will be at Key Arena in 2019. Leading me to believe, I mean, the deal signed. Uh, and it, for the city, uh, for the sports commission to back out of that, there'd be a significant penalty. Uh, so now you start talking about the, the, the first time you'd be able to start construction is potentially after that tournament is completed in March of 2019. So that means the new arena can't be constructed by 2020. That means now you're looking at 2021, 2022, and that goes back to the original point of why the reaction has been so muted. Because if the arena is not done until 2022, there we are talking about five years down the road. Uh, before any sort of NBA or NHL team could occupy it. The NHL, I can tell you, 
the way they've been operating, the fact they're sitting on 31 teams, the fact that they have wanted Seattle for a long time to be an expansion franchise or to fill a gap in uh, for one of the, the other franchises to be relocated, they're not going to wait around five years for Seattle to get their act together. Uh, and, and so I think that's why hockey fans in particular are disappointed about this. The NBA has given no indication about when they may start an expansion process, if at all. Deputy Commissioner uh, yeah. delivered a little gut yeah. shot this week, yeah. right? I yeah, saw Mark that on Tatum. your Twitter. Mark Tatum, yeah, it was at, at a conference and, and somebody asked him point blank if he thought the NBA would be in Seattle in four years and all he said was, no. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, the NBA's timeline. Didn't even put any polish line, on it. Didn't even put any spin, yeah. like we'll see. Yeah. Just said no. Yeah, the NBA's uh, timeline appears to be different than the NHL. So, yeah, if you're talking about 2022 and, and trying to get a team, I think that's why some of the enthusiasm uh, over what looked to be two blockbuster proposals, frankly, on the surface, uh, that's why the reaction has been what it has. And, and we haven't even seen yet transportation. Uh, plans and and how these two groups think they can get people in and out and that that will come out I think sooner rather than later but there needs to be a full study on that as well so if we're talking about 2022 right. 2023 2020 yeah we might be in hover cars by then yeah. I mean this is starting to get a little bit silly yeah. Bezos is going to have us on Mars <laughs> yeah. by 2022 yeah. so yeah. is this going to be the Mars Sonics I yeah mean, Ugh, all, all we can do is laugh about it because it has become such a twisted tale who would have ever thought we'd have now three suitors fist fighting right. over how to get this team back, and if we do, it may take another. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't even want to say it, but I mean, it really yeah. could be another five to ten years. Yep. Yep. I, I, I. Thanks for bringing down the party, man. Sorry, Chris. I like you. I just don't think it was an incredible vocal performance. That's the point I was trying to make. On Twitter and Instagram, at Next Best Pod. This is the exclusive ending of the Next Best Podcast. Oh.